Thank you so much for joining us today, Friday the 13th. I wish I had a little bit of like a spooky interlude or something to throw in there. But maybe um, maybe our, our our wonderful DJ Xavier probably right. DJ in the house. Oh, and Carrie. Carrie ended up cutting it in before Come I could on, even man. say Come on, man. Don't forget me. I guess you're right. My name's Evan, Headstash207 on the IG. We got Carrie, which I think is KLAN70. Yes, We're going to be is. changing that up pretty soon. We will. Yeah, we definitely will. Sure. Um... Today is the day, the first episode of the main podcast. It's been something that we've been working on kind of on the side, trying to find some time for it for about, <laughs> yeah, it's been a long process actually now that we think about it. We've started working with Xavier and- It has, back maybe in January of uh, this year is when we really first started to uh, reach out and have these opportunities to talk with people to do recordings. Even prior to that though too, I feel like there was a, we brought the equipment and had- Yeah, we were scheming. This, is, sure. this had been happening in motion for almost a year, but it was just about trying to find the time and piece everything together. And even now we found one of the biggest challenges to be the time setting a setting an appointment setting yeah. an opportunity it's uh it's a difficult process because it's not the only thing that we're doing but it's important to us to do it mm -hmm. to be able to meet with uh people who are in the industry to I grow think, from it i think that was the one thing too is that um is that we both like we we ended up getting into this because we both had had experiences too prior at um retail venues and it was about some sort of like being able to go out and amass your own connects and doing stuff separate from your retails, the retail storefront. That way you can kind of almost create somewhat of your own identity in the community. They, we like the free flow of information. We never thought there was enough of it. And we yeah, also like meeting new people. it was about information. And so about we, this was yeah. like a great platform to kind of combine the both. farms uh that's my farm entity it was created in actually in northern california uh in the emerald triangle region it's kind of came about back in the days of entering the emerald cup um circa kind of 10 years ago and i've flown the owl since then as kind of a spirit animal guide that that's what you know the icon will stick to mm -hmm. and uh best friend farms is in line with the cannabis plant being such a friend in my life really um yeah through ups and downs on times off times but always there very healing source for me therapeutic a great relationship and friendship i would say is mm -hmm. what i have with this plant so you function solely or no you function a lot more uh as yourself and maybe a small team one two um i actually have well, a, a hash maker friend that's one year into training on the farm, doing amazing work, mm -hmm. and an artisan in his craft already, um, Tom. And then there's uh, Adam and James are a couple of 
You have a really nickname good. for Tom, do you not? What's right. That? You got a nickname for Tom, right? Tom's the hash whisperer <laughs> by choice. He's, he's not a super, you know, on social media kind of guy. He's more in the back cut and prefers it to be that way. I asked him if he wanted to come with, and he was kind of good to make hash at the farm today. Sure. He was sure. trying some 91 Royale from the Swamp Boys today. Oh, even fresh oh, frozen even indoor. Yeah, so. A fresh frozen uh, approach. We, yeah, we do some. Mm -hmm. Very much less of the fresh frozen um, than I do for cured resin temple yep. ball from Bubble Hash. Mm -hmm. So that's what we're balling. If you see, really, with as I was saying earlier, this we will ball up some fresh frozen if it's too gluey and too too gooey to do anything through the sieve yeah. with it. Yeah. But our sieve, typically fresh frozen, goes to sieve and you know particulated and separated and then it's more like a silk or a fluff you know mm -hmm, right. uh, still full melt and very nice and most of it anyway and <laughs> we do test it to see. <laughs> so when, sometimes it nails it sometimes hey yeah, yeah, yeah some sometimes some strains don't it's mess. beautiful to know that that's part of the process that's gonna happen it's r d we run r d right now we literally yeah. even keep notes in a log book on which resins have a profile if they're gluey if they're a keeper or not, you know, to keep running, so. And we acknowledge everybody in the team, I'm sorry. Oh, sorry, so yeah, there's more on the team in terms of a, uh, a few trim folks that will come around to help. There's, you know, some, some help going on in the home with stuff with ideas and sharing, and then, yeah, really, though, it's, it's, it's comes down to a three to four man team on the farm most days, Monday through Friday. And yeah. we like it that way. Yeah, no, I keep it small, and that's the trusted group. Everyone has the same outlook and, and um, philosophy, really, for the most part. And my, you know, manager, garden, um, hand, master grower, really, under me, Adam, is, is an organic grower by nature, has some love for the cannabis plant, for sure, but it's become, it was more of a thing of him coming in as an organic gardener and he's got a feel for plants that now coming newly into cannabis more as a mainstay or as his focused plant, he does really well with it under my technique and is replicating very well. Under, your, uh, under your technique, I'm assuming uh, in some ways uh, the experience that you've had prior to There's a name has for allowed it. you to be the, the, the boss, although it's probably a lot of give and take. Yeah, it, it is. Uh, there's actually a name for the philosophy of grow and the technique and the inputs that we use that I actually have termed the dank method. The dank and method. That's what we kind of <laughs> joke about, but that's is actually what we kind of stick to on the farm. Is that too. a 16th century term? <laughs> yes, something like that. <laughs> Medieval. Yes. Yeah. When did you start to develop this dank method in a sense? When was your earliest experience with cannabis, and when did you really start to hone your skills as a grower oh, to goodness. the point where we could pass it to someone well, else? Well, that's part of the story with Best Wait, Friend Farms. Dank is probably a yin yang uh, or a larger. Uh, upper level, like you're thinking spiritually, are you not? Uh, I guess it could get into that spiritual okay. realm. Definitely bring you a depth of, of internal spirituality. I think cannabis brings that intrinsic nature to oneself to look within, mm. for sure. It does. So, um, to back to it, the best friend farms goes back to I'm a second generation grower. My dad's been, well, was growing in, in Mercer, Maine, 1971. I don't think he minds 
me saying that he doesn't he's not growing well, there shout these out to days. Dad. So, <laughs> no, shout no. so much. Yes. But anyway, um there's there's Was uh, he happy to see you take it up? Oh yeah. I was just showing him my gas mask two days ago and he was just like had his head inside of it. You know, couldn't get enough of it and smelling and the richness and, and he's really enjoys seeing that, especially as a farmer, yep. you know, as you know, of course next generation farmer. Yeah. My mom's still gardening. He I was grew, into a lot of different farming. That's so, the thing. I grew up even, um, and something to add into it that I would want to share is that, you know, cannabis is a, it's a, it's a lifestyle. What I've learned from cannabis is healthy lifestyle. I grow organically. I, the Dank Method incorporates all organic living soil method, clean water from the state of Maine, from the ground, well water, and... We eat that way too. I was raised, my mom and dad still grow organic vegetables in their greenhouse and have enough for the whole year. Yep. And they give us a lot outside of what we grow. What it is is the funny, I guess the interesting thing is with the extract game, it's such a hot topic, as we know, that the tanks have to be filled. So you have a demand that's out there that people are even kind of racing towards with some proving to be really good with what they do, or cream of the crop, you know? But either way, there's a huge demand in that world. What you have for classic hash form is something that hasn't been raced for or demanded. It's there. It's not a huge segment of that, uh, you know, the concentrate population reaching for it. So it doesn't have to fill up any demand. It's actually building its own rhythm, an old school item, kind of classic form, you know, now into the new day. It's, it's building itself up again, but it's something of like an old friend. Right. Like people who go, oh, I've heard of that, or, you know, I want to try that in the younger side. Then the older folks go, oh, that's great. We know what that is. I mean, the I've style. heard, what, 400,000 years, something like that? Pakistani, Hindu Pakistan oh. Valley. Oh, yeah. I've seen some stuff on like Nat Geo, even like of, a, of how they're making it back. There's like the drums, and they'd wrap. You know, oh, yeah. cloths of some sort, and they'd pound. Amazing. You know, they were just Moroccan yeah, droppers. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What is it? The, is it the chakras? Is that what it's called? Too? Where they rub charas. Charas. That's what they they rub the plant, and they uh, that's how they're able to pull that hash to pull yeah. the to pull the heads off of plants like that. Yeah. So I mean, there's been a mystique to the hash ball and the hash block. I think for time that you know we talk about at home and stuff too, because I'll haul out a ball of hash, and some of them especially are just mesmerizing. Uh -huh. It's almost like a like something inherent to just sit there and stare at, and then to crack into it, you know, is, is a whole new egg cracking experience. There was so. a there was a uh, video like that. Uh, yeah, a cutting open video. Mm. Um, I watched it quite a few times. <laughs> well, then that's the cream <laughs> to go back to it. it's such a different presentation too. And it felt great, it felt good. It made me want to, to understand it more, to well, be a part you, of it more. You, you get to see the video, you get to see the softness, the texture of the hash as oh, you yeah. cut into it. So it gives you an idea of, are you looking at a hard marble? Are you looking at something that's malleable? Because mm -hmm. you see the blonde and the brown to black, you know, streaks of resin in it that looked galax, you know, galactical or swirly, mm -hmm. milky way. And I then, wondered the density, you allowed me to hold it earlier. I was yeah. wondering, I felt that, I was I've curious. Big balls. I actually brought a few balls to share with the crew here and, and to look at. So mm -hmm. I brought the hash Bible, 
and there's a 41 gram ball that <laughs> it's <laughs> making its way around. Isn't no, it? yeah, yeah, no, this is the show in the world. <laughs> yeah, so um, there's a couple even big goose eggs in there, a couple one out 30 grammers of oh, 40 no gram, yeah, that will go you know handhold after. So, mm -hmm. um, those. Those are impressive, man. I, they really got a feel to them that's almost kind of heavyweight, paperweight, overwhelming. I've, I have found that the half ounce to one ounce size seems to be that preferable. To honestly, locked in for store for keeping, and consistency and for usability when you pull out and such to not be so overwhelmed. I think the half ounce ball size has been pretty good. You know. Okay. Yeah, that's one that uh, is more suitable. Time-wise, investment um, in creating. Yeah, the, that's the personal, though. Of course, you know, with the market and such, we have to make things available for people to, to sure. be able to buy legally and to affordably. So we do. We we ball up actually our cured resin and some of the fresh frozen. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I probably repeat myself a few times, but we we ball we sieve out fresh frozen into a silk or a sift and typically well geez some strains 91 royale today off the fresh frozen indoor made the shiniest you know fresh frozen ball around oh nice yeah and right. so so you want we'll that though <laughs> you're looking for that kind of look oh yeah no i mean when the it. resin's bond like that and you can't push it through a you know a, a, any type of sieving then that's a sign it's bonded already by nature so we kind of go with it mm -hmm. but um it's all in a dark room, is it not, for a while? Yeah, to. well, That's dark is of, a key component to our curing and, mm -hmm. I mean, drying, curing, storing, you know, three tiers of this hash process, because it comes from a flower, that whole gold in, gold out, you know. Yeah. Uh, to go back to it, we're doing, we're, we're in line with everything, where in terms of even half of what, I'm, what we're doing is bred by me and produced at the farm, cultivated in our method, and then make, we do only first party hash. We only make our own. And we're very picky about if it's other genetics that we're using, then we're very picky about which ones they are. Otherwise, to go back to it, we're locking in on strain types. And now, as a breeder by hobby and passion, it's really cool because I'm able to come into this locking in on a whole new realm of types that are there for hash production. Fine sharing what you're ideally looking for when you're put, uh, you're not you're not growing particular genetics for the yields that you're going to be getting off of them. It's strictly for the purpose of the terpene. I'm I'm breeding. I'm a terp yeah, farmer. That's what I'm a that's terp what breeder, the chase is. Terp farmer. Yeah. So it's all got that's, that has no value to you. The the yield oh, it, it has value. I mean, like, it has some. But when I hit a strain, as in terms, okay. So in, with breeding or trying someone else's gear, if I hit a strain that checks my boxes, as I say, when yeah. it comes to loud and bright which are the first quality essence first, which is smell and look. Yeah. Yes, um, you correct. know it's going to yeah. have potency. I'm mm -hmm. known what it will be highly likely in the range of 20 to 30% uh, THC. But then uh, when it comes down to it, it's the unique terpene profile and how it speaks to you that way, the loud. Do you okay. have, have you encountered anything over the years as far as like terpene profile that really stood out to you 
that you've always held on to that you're like, you know, I wish I could bring this back or something that you've come across once. I've yet to come angel across food cake. That, that's that what it would be for you? That's a great one. Yeah, to go into angel food cake is, yes. a, is a classic strain for Best Friend Farms. I created out west um, some inputs that came through a friend, actually melting pot, and genetically uh, formed... I, I bred basically a forum cut cookies when it first dropped to a, a Lucifer OG male, which was from Karma Genetics. Okay. So that created angel food. I then brought it out to a G13 Widow Cookies, uh, which was forum cut by Candy Chem, which was kind of, you know, some <laughs> Chem family elite strain Yes, there. right. Yeah, so that made Angel Food Cake. That's a classic <clears throat> strain for me. It's very in-depth. I do have some vaulted seeds of that one that I'm thinking of soon cracking into to oh, get nice. the cake game going again. Oh, nice, yes. Um, I carried that f actually out into Strawberry Angel Food. So what I've done is actually some of the work where... I can explain kind of quickly is that angel food cake's a wonderful strain. It's a cookie dough white type thing, really cookie type. And with some G13 widow range, it's, it's funky. For people, um, just uh, the cookie type and the growth, it's a, it's a strong compact type yeah, of Yeah, strong plant, compact, correct. real jemmy type look hard, to hard it. Hard, nugs that really hard, are just... Hard nugs, yep. yep. And it's got a white tight look and, and feel to it. And it's got a doughy kind of cookie dough essence to it even. Cakey, even Cake. cake by essence, you know. Um, not my favorite, honestly. Not knocking it. It's really good. Right. But what I like to breed these days, I call um, fruit forward cookie back. Fruit so I'm forward. bringing the fruit forward terpene profile onto a cookie back. So a good cookie looky, mm -hmm. like with the jemmy look of the cookie type. Okay. Added yes. to the terpene loud profile fruit forward from a fruit type, you know, mashed up with it. Anything that you've been working on that you could uh, give us a little hint, or is everything kind of... Oh, yeah. Some of them have come out recently. Yeah, with Strawberry yes. Angel Food's a classic for me now, which is the new angel food for me there. It's Strawberry Fields from Crockett Family onto the angel food cake, and we're, we're rolling with that one. I've even gone further with it just recently, checked it this morning, which is, a, is that Strawberry Angel Food to a Testarossa male from Aficionado, which is a Skittles by Skittles Magnum Opus. Male, <laughs> and it's, it's got a unique, amazing oh, wow. magnum opus. I, I've seen a little of that. Uh, Mendelbrot's work. They're trying to bring a little bit of um, respect back to that breed or two who's yeah. passed. But yeah, so that this new type I have, Strawberry Angel Food to that Testarossa, just amazing. One of the more unique, strange strawberry. Uh, terpene profiles I've seen. It's hard to even put a name on it. I'm really excited about it. So constantly upbreeding to the next thing, really. Mm -hmm. yep. That's important, too. In a, in a market like this, we've seen how things are so are changing so fast. It was, you know, purple punches were in, masks right. were in, GMO was in, and right. it seems like it's in for so long. But in the when you really think of the timeline of getting the seed pheno hunting it and then putting it into full production, most of these growers don't even get a chance to get on that hype train because it's, it's, it's coming on so fast. You almost have to be looking for what could be next and it's by luck if you end up falling in that category. It's like a chess game with it even too. I mean, I find it fun and interesting. I like breeding and genetics by hobby, but it's also a very fast moving industry. A lot of breeders more than ever. 
and it's one of those things to keep your eye and feel and finger on the pulse with what people want but also the plant speaks loud so you know as a breeder i'm going for that loud first and it's definitely something that i'm trying to keep in mind with what's coming next perhaps that the population that uh, wants to see from the cannabis plant but i really do feel the plant dictates that you know and and creates waves of reception Mm -hmm. from certain hybrids they're really these days they're not you know, land race your hybrids they're these are f1s or polys you know i know absolutely that's a lot of people have mentioned that like a lot of people of, of your stature that have come in that have been in the community for you know decades now in that respect they don't see those land races they don't see the ogs yeah. that they're really looking for anymore you see that coming back now more as like a novelty a collector's item yeah gasback gardens has capitalized on that somewhat there's been some other people like you guys that have really brought it back to the OGs. We were talking a little bit about uh, the Cali selection, genetics-wise, for growing outdoor, mm -hmm. and um, and the main selection for growing. Well, outdoor. Yeah, I mean, it's a funny thing. What I found in California was straight up was that the sh the the hard indicas, like a purple, you know, a granddaddy purple, for instance, or even the lavender, uh, those did not do so well in California, out in that inland region, the Emerald Triangle, with like bright hot sun all day, very dry. Oh, uh, would cook them? Would it make them want to drink they, a lot, they, or it just was beyond that? They stayed short, stunty, small, didn't produce, you know, the cold weather hardened up like nice large nugs, or just didn't seem to perform as well. Whereas the, the later sativas that were hybrid, anything in between uh, like a Landrace sativa and almost a Landrace indica did very well out there. That's what I would say is almost anything grows out there. Mm -hmm. So that's where you don't, that's where you have so many growers. That's where you have so many, so much product, even honestly, a lot of times outside of the really good growers going on is because anything can grow, you know? It's really so you can easy. have your successes it's, it's, it's the weather's forgivingly constant. enough. The weather's constant typically, and it's just really good run. Um, in Maine, Maine doesn't have that no, reputation. It, no, it does not. You're no. looking <laughs> at the humidity fluctuations. Humidity is the big kicker, and it's it? the fluctuations, and the, it's regionally specific strains only here for me. I, I've come up on a few strains since I've moved back. Whereas California, I could grow anything in between. You know the hard, sure. the, the land races. You know. Uh, Maine, it's really locked in on 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 special phenotype. You know, it's even pheno. It's not just strain. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. So found. it's going beyond. So, yeah, yeah. It's going so a little I, bit deeper in. I yeah, say. I mean, it's funny because the genetics that I found doing well though outside of Maine, of course, don't just originate from Maine. They're obviously from other places too. So. Um, I have a sour banana sherbet is the one of the last really beautiful types that comes off for me before October 1st, super healthy, uh, produces well for a low wide bush. That's from Crockett Family Farms also. Mm -hmm. Yep, familiar and, with. Yep, and I've great, great, great nose. Great uh, nose, great, tangy yes. forward, kind mm -hmm. of a tangerine soda nose up front on it. Um, not a lot of banana to it, but it's very bright white looker, super healthy. Um, I've got another one I call Alchemy that I bred, and that is a platinum, what is it, platinum cookies, uh, Loctite crossed to Humboldt Kush. So there's a Cali Kush behind from Lion's Pride Genetics on one side, and then it's the platinum cookie thing on the other, Loctite thing on the other. You get to play um, with, when you're looking into the genetics of what you're forming, you're, you're kind of grabbing, um, so you are starting to sort of grab 
traits from different, I'm speaking way, way above uh, what I know. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, so I defer, but in the sense you, you, you're seeking out the phenome type. It's like you said, I'm field testing gets that far types, you know, strength. is it something you will continue? Is oh, that yeah. going to be a focus that you're just going to want to get down oh, into it's what yeah. I do? I can't stop doing it. It's what mm -hmm. I do. So honestly, probably up to half of my run or more, I'll have half of it. I'll have the experimental R and D type of stuff, but it's also locked in on hybrids that I know are performing well for the most part. They're putting out good, you know, most phenotypes on them will be good, but then there'll be the chosen one. Mm -hmm. And then uh, indoors, a different story. So anything there obviously flies too. What do oh, you, sure. Do you think it's hard when we're talking about phenos and things like that? I know some growers, they have some of what they call their pheno hunter. Now, how does that work? Because the quote unquote at that point, their pheno hunter it's is a going big to be thing these days. completely growing something <laughs> different is. than they're going to be growing. Like it's not the same atmosphere anymore. It's not the same. I heard it started like last year. Yeah. Pheno yeah. hunting. No, I mean it's a hot term. It's a hot phrase these days, and and everyone's kind of running after those phenos. By what what I see happening more, and I don't I don't know if I'm right, but it seems like there's when when pheno hunting people are selecting the right plant, they should be doing that work. So I think they are. Um, but there's also so many breeders out there and so many people just cracking seed after seed that I think sometimes it might just get confused with cracking seeds rather than growing different hunting. strains. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Real pheno hunting takes time in growing at multiple platforms, meaning outside, inside greenhouse. If you're into that type of thing to see where it performs better in which realm and more data driven, you have to have more data. It is, it's R&D data driven and it's, you know, keeping, taking notes, watching it consistency in the grow upon rep repetition for stability in the run to mm -hmm. see if it keeps producing the same thing it did one time or yeah. gets worse or better. Even sometimes, you know. No, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's just one thing that I've always wondered. Is I know a couple people that they, you know, they use someone else. It seems as the pheno hunter, and that's fine and dandy. But when they're pheno hunting out of a ten by ten tent in their basement, yeah. and then they're trying to replicate it in a big warehouse with four flower rooms, well, does that really trans? Does that? Well, does I, that I think it's a hot term. It's the first start. It's a start for it, some. It is a no, start. It, it that's is a start. But I, I just feel like there is some still like these. There, believe it or not, there's probably still these companies and these stores out here that you know they use someone that's that's their secondary. That's their hot. That's their side hustle well you I know mean, is what good, they get from the pheno hunt it's not when, a bad idea that's good business actually i promote that activity because one of the services i would provide and in, in the consulting i do genetic consult also oh it's sure interesting work i'm actually launching a genetic project where um for a music group organically good trio the keyboardist plays in slightly stupid okay and they're okay. picking up a type named ogt from best friend farms genetics. oh nice so we're about to pick one of four or five types going out for trial to be locked in on so i think it's um i'm straying from the topic a little so no no, no. i mean i i, I think it's so good that's business, gotta but be I, in the song it's What's just <laughs> more so do you think i i just find it hard for it to be replicated when I, I, they're trying to, does it, does it really, is it really a pheno hunt at that point or is it a shot in the dark? Because yes, you can get a clone of someone that grew it out of a 10 by 10 tent and it's awesome. But then when you replicate it onto a scale of hundreds of plants in a massive flower room where the environment's right. drastically different, the hands that are dealing with it aren't paying go. as much attention because they're now hundreds of plants versus just six in a, in a tent. Well, you're talking about There's the so new much shift. Like um, sorry, not to interrupt, but I, I mean, know. you're no, coming you're right. into a new topic right now, which I was going to actually, uh, Let's now do that it. you bring it up, Let's do we're it. now creeping into what is the adult use market, recreational, which is a restriction by canopy space, not by plant count. That's the opposite game of what's happened with plant count restriction with no canopy space restriction, at least here in Maine, which is, has been mm -hmm. uh, good for farmers, you know. 
but that's a whole different mentality of grow. You're not talking large plant production, even really when it comes down to it. And this is maybe, you know, can, it, it could help with folks being able to produce, you know, on a rhythm where it doesn't have to be consumed space and energy with large containers, large plants on the new day. It's, it's probably going to be more filling your canopy space, which mm-hmm. is something I was familiar with more out West in the macro runs, more, sure. s- more sea of green where, you know, plant per square foot or two type, you know, um, when you came farming. back, you didn't, you decided though, that wasn't going to be the style. No, I'm very to happy to here. branch out into multiple genetic testing yeah. and trying. It's so beautiful. It's what I'm more <clears> into, but then now that's why I mention it. And it can help. I think is that as we come into the new day for success in production, not just in uniqueness or in quality. I always say it's quality first, absolutely for us, but then there is a side to success or availability in the algorithm of being able to produce high quality. And that's, I've done that work out West and be able to come back into the new day coming up. I'm actually happy to explore that and happy to help. I, I have some consult help to give. Oh, sure. With it it and, would only make sense. Given. And that's to go back to genetic yeah. type. Honestly, I would even feed it right back into that more than even experience based macro runs for production. I would go back to what we're talking about, which is pheno hunting and selecting by someone like uh, who can who knows what they're doing. So professional, uh, you're going to talk about bigger runs, sea of green stuff oh, yeah. being mapped out that way. Like you're saying, not just the individual special big plant, but whole runs of plant for production and quality both, you know. It'd also be, in my, in my opinion, too, the pheno hunter needs to have a, a say in the flowering. How are, or they need to be able to pass data on to the people that are now directing the flowering. And at some points, is it almost seems like it's impossible to grow a plethora of strains out of one flower room because there is going to be so many differences that it's, are needed. It you know? really takes a special person in the breeding and the pheno hunting too, actually. And that's not going back to myself. It's more saying that now even with running a farm, uh, medical farm into legal times here, it's with the people I have working have a great eye on it. They know the rhythm of best friend farms and how special it is with the genetic thing that we're doing locked in on single source. But it's also something where, you know, um, it's a unique eye on it. It's a feeling that only I think unique breeders or people that are really knowing what they're looking for, for one thing, instead of yeah. just searching for not really knowing what they're looking for, but something that's either cool or bright and kind of loud, you know? So I guess what I would say is I don't have issues with it, but I'm also trying to train the folks, even master gardener grower at my farm to have that special eye look on picking the pheno, seeing what they do compared to other plants and not just producing a medicine. Or what, a, what a great opportunity for the, the, yeah, to share that information, that education uh, opportunity. That is really seems, nice. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be, that's the kind of relationship or those are the kind of relationships you've said it in the past. Yeah. That's what you're looking for. That's what that's what you're valuing. Oh, we're going to keep most. it going like that. I'm going to keep breeding this. The plants in Best Friend Farms, our plants are that's family. You know, mm-hmm. my plants mm-hmm. are family. Those are our children. Um, we take care of them. We name them. You know, we see what they can do and give them the healthiest upstart to a healthy, you know, fruition that we can. So yeah, and it's been you can tell that it's passed on. Uh, through gener- the same enthusiasm and passion that I see in you, I, I've seen in a lot, and this is nothing to, to degrade, I guess, cannabis farming in general, but I've seen a lot in potato farmers and corn farmers and like farmers that have, that got into it. And it's, you know, they, 
yeah, they have these big farms, they have nice tractors, but you see their day-to-day lives, it's not like they're rolling in money, and you ask them why they do it, it's because, you know, they love the potato, just as if the cannabis farmer loves the cannabis plant, you know, and the corn farmer loves the corn, like, that's where it really comes down to. It's farming. We are in a special niche with cannabis, there's no question of it, the bounty and the abundance that comes from it, Um, you know, I myself, not a wealthy person, but I've been well taken care of, and want to mention that, and thanks, actually, back to the plant. Yes. To and say that, that and with, with people in this for real, that mm-hmm. are really doing it with a heartbeat, um, most of them, we struggle, but people are doing it. So that means they've been provided for and taken care of. Well, we're in a, and we're in a part two. For the two whole where- industry of the main, main cannabis industry, the foundation had to be growers. Mm-hmm. Had to be, and it should still, Special it's still we're in a big so shift should always right now, be acknowledged. Only, we're really. in a big shift, I feel like, though, not only is in from... The you know black market it, it, it speaks to that black market to medical to legal shift that we're all going through that everyone has gone through now and there's also a massive shift in quality and it's yeah, either you can it's you wonderful. can float or you can sink and there's a lot of people that have yeah. been floating and they're walking around massive amounts of cash in their pocket you know they go down they they're buying designer and all this stuff but they've been understand it's it's all from this trap lifestyle that's allowing you know they move 40, 50, something like that of all this boost stuff that would never make it to an actual consumer in Maine because these people will not touch that product. So I feel like that era is dwindling down too. the era of, you know, a lot of these people walking around with huge sums of cash because they've been part of this lifestyle for many years. Now that they're going to have its profits are going to be ringed back. You know, revenues are going to are going to come changing. to a halt because it's I think you're so not going to be able to just yeah. pass off that, you know, the, the massive sums of subpar quality. If it's not the best, you're going to have to either run it into an extraction and you're going to either have to put that at that point into edibles through distillate. Or you're going to have to try to put that those uh, those those concentrates on the shelf. It's not so much here, there, boom, gone, cash in my pocket anymore. Well, it's changing like that. You have availability to people already and, and consumer choice, mm-hmm. which is that's how business goes on, you know, is availability and then choice. And without being locked into a dealer or a rogue off-market situation, you have people that can actually choose not just buy what's there, and given to them, but actually choose and get to try things and experience what's different, what's in Maine has a unique, uh, you know, um, hand on it. That's where I come from. And that's where this whole love for breeding, love for real organic farming mm. uh, with the cannabis comes from. So happy to be here doing it for sure. There yeah. is a special thing going on, I think, up here. I think there is too. I'd I think- like to, it's hard to, hard to ask uh, growers, farmers to, uh, to band together to protect themselves as an entity down the road. I, but I feel like we'd be telling ourselves we, you know, we'd be fools not to think that there shouldn't be some sort of gathering together or, or I unification. think it's coming back together. I'm actually happy to do this thing here to share too and get oh, yeah, out there because, uh, and name some folks that are in it and there's more. And um, really there is a good community at hand and as things get really kind of a, a struggle in ways and tough and fast to move forward, you either kind of make it or you don't. And mm-hmm. those that do make it, not all of them, of course, are going to be a whole heartbeat in what we do. They're going to be good at business. Right. However, the, the folks that are good farmers, but also have an edge and eye on business here on the East Coast, New England and the Maine, we do. Mm-hmm. And in that new day, I think Maine has a great chance in the new market, in the boutique small craft cannabis market. I think market. so, too. It's the artisan. The one thing I like about, about Maine in general versus the out west is I feel like, a, and this is an opinion that has been resonated through a, a lot of people, is that Maine you can see right through people in the sense of like, the, you, you don't get it. You know, there's not a lot of um, fake 
that's in Maine. You know, a lot of people are pretty genuine. You can tell where their intentions are. They're they're easy to read versus a lot of times I hear out west, you know, it's a lot of it's harder to read people. You don't know if they're saying hi to your face and then they turn around, it could be something totally different. Now, I don't think that's so much for like the humble area, but more so is like you figure out who you're going to do business with. Where the West Coast, you know, where you really think like Los Angeles, Hollywood, a lot of that stuff becomes a more of who you are rather than what you bring to the table or genuinely who are you as a person, your morals. I I was more Northern California, so I wasn't as familiar, so I don't know that realm, but I know in Northern California, it was actually a very tight community. People helped Mm -hmm. each other. It was a real good And that's probably more of like the main... Type, but this goes to I more of my like point. You guys had to protect I'll, one another as well. But you had to work to, to grow it. And, community yeah. mindset. And that's that's where I'm going with this point is that it's like Northern California, like Maine versus a lot of the other, I feel like, cannabis industries that have opened up, say, in like L.A. and things like that. These stores really have it out for the consumer. The majority of them. I can't speak to the, you know, the, to the I, radicals. I'm not so sure because I've been out here actually in the in the recent turn into the new day. Mm-hmm. So, but but I. But I we know. just recently have experienced stores over the past. It only has been yeah, an 18 it's month only thing. Yeah, only a year. And plus, that's yeah. those are who I'm talking about because those are the people that have been the grassroots organizers that were now let the, the floodgates open and they were allowed to set up shop. The people that should have set up shop way before the big dispensaries did. The ones that have been growing this before there was massive amounts of cash in it. And well, that I mean, doing it yeah, really there's the definitely money in it and then you definitely have some of the big timers, which I don't knock either because they have time in the game. They've done this and they have produced clean medicine for people with an eye on testing because they're under the eye also. Is yeah, one right. thing. So there is that. Right. But I, I think the unique branding and the independent you know, mom and pop nature, small yeah. batch domain is something that follows which i wanted to mention also with gourmet food here you know even mm-hmm. seafood food in general you have craft, craft beer, beer yeah. is huge right oh, now huge. Main, mm-hmm. beautiful what compliment it co- what it comes yeah. down to yeah, is, it really is, is there's the turn we're taking here Maine's experience such a nice boom with is is are the amigos of you know food beverage and cannabis now and and hospitality so you're we're coming into this cool realm of experience and life and feeling that Maine has a niche and a carved in oh, thing for where yeah. you could experience a beer or cannabis in other places, not to name the states or names, mm-hmm. but where would you rather experience it? And would you like to have it be from a farm, a single source, very small batch craft artisan? Mm-hmm. These days, people seem to want that. I think Maine's got a great edge in the future when it comes to that realm of enjoyment. Mm-hmm. Cannabis being a leader in it, you know. And some of the best, I, I just uh, in my own personal experiences too. Some of the best times that I've had has been like on the coast of Maine, you know, having some bites, brews, and some bud. You know, all three of those well, bees the, checking yeah, them all I off. Mean, that it really is enjoyable. It is the next so. step we're taking, and I didn't mention it earlier, but would now is that we're going to be looking into cannabis hospitality. You know, canna wreck and leisure. Oh yeah. Up. Oh we're, certainly. We're looking, sure. We're looking at the future here and how we can experience cannabis socially. Mm-hmm. So that's mostly what I will say. Uh, there are some desires to share this socially and out with people here in the future. You got it all. Honestly. There is no better, like, Maine is the home of craft. We're, like, craft beers. It's something that we've always been, like, it's part of our culture. And I think there was no better person to have on for this first episode that screamed craft uh, to the to the nth degree other than Brian from Best Friend Farms. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely.